Welcome to episode 240 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I remember the first time I was paid $5,000 to speak. What's memorable is that a professional development opportunity that cost $5,000 had just appeared in my life and it seemed like fate that I was about to be paid that exact sum. I don't even remember what the opportunity was, but at the time I wanted it. I think the ability to pay $5,000 was just as exhilarating as being paid $5,000. It wasn't overnight, but I eventually learned that this is not a savvy way to run a business. I was acting as if 100% of what I earned was available for expenses. At the same time, I had no idea when I could start paying myself since I was basically putting all the money back into my business as I was getting it going. Not a sustainable business model, but I'm guessing I'm not alone in doing this. Now, when I get paid, I put only 30% aside for expenses, 20% for taxes, 20% for my paycheck, and 30% for profit. This is based on a model developed by Mike Michalowicz and discussed in his book, Profit First. As soon as I heard about this model, it just clicked for me. Instead of the formula being revenue minus expenses equals profit, it became revenue minus profit equals expenses. I mean, that's how paychecks work. Taxes and retirement get taken out first, and then the rest is in a paycheck. It just isn't how most entrepreneurs approach their business. This one book caused a major shift in the way I ran my business, and I realized that I could implement this in other ways. This week is the first time I'm taking more than one day off in a row since the pandemic began. I only have two calls scheduled with coaching clients and no other meetings except my no more bad Zoom virtual happy hour, which brings me too much joy to miss. Just like with Profit First, I'm realizing I will only get time off if I block it on my calendar before sharing my availability with my clients. With that in mind, I've now got two more vacation weeks already booked for August and December. Your challenge this week In some ways, this is a really simple lesson. I didn't earn a profit until I took the profit first. I need to put vacation time in my calendar before booking clients. Putting this into action can be very challenging if your sense of work-life balance has gotten incredibly blurred over the last year. First, assess your starting point. Are you working weekends? Finding yourself at your computer again after dinner. Haven't taken two days off in a row in ages. Second, set your long-term goal. Stop working weekends. Only work two nights a week. Take off every Friday. Third, what can you do right now that will move you towards that audacious goal? Start reclaiming your time and putting up boundaries. Lastly, what are you most looking forward to doing with all this newfound time? Knowing the answer will help you create and follow through in a plan to make it happen. Try this and let me know how it goes. And I have a question for you before we dive into this week's interview. Do you want to be surrounded by people also striving to build their business while enjoying life? 
If so, ask me about my drop-in monthly mastermind sessions. These are perfect for anyone who has had a business for at least two to three years and is ready to take it to the next level. Email me at Robbie at robbysamuels.com to get started. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is a leading expert on how to leverage podcast guesting for increased brand awareness, more leads, and higher profits. She created the podcast booking industry in 2013 when she founded Interview Connections, recently named the best specialty podcast guest booking agency of 2021 by Corporate Vision Magazine. Along with her business partner, she has quickly scaled Interview Connections to multiple seven figures in annual revenue by leveraging the power of podcast guesting. Their team of in-house booking agents is the powerhouse behind many successful entrepreneurs and businesses, including Allie Brown, Perry Marshall, A. Weber, USA Financial, and more. She has done hundreds of podcast interviews, both as a guest and co-host of Monetize the Mic. She is the co-author of the upcoming book, Monetize the Mic, Transform Your Business with Visibility and Strategy, and has been featured as a speaker at PodFest Multimedia Expo and FinCon. Please join me in welcoming Jessica Rhodes. Hi, Robbie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show. Jessica, thank you for joining us from our home office in Providence, Rhode Island, down the road from me in Boston. I, I haven't seen you in, in quite a while. We ran to last at the uh, National Speaker Association Conference, and I had had it on my like checklist that I was going to have you on my show. So glad that you're here. And as you know, there's a show about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I realized I, I've always had the skills to lead. It's hard to know when exactly that happened because as soon as I got my first real job when I was 15 years old, I've always worked up into leadership, right? At first it was at the pizza shop and then the ice cream shop. I would always be a leader, a team lead, a manager, you know, it's just, it was in me. Like I couldn't not go for a leadership position. So I think that I've, I've just always had it. And I think what really it takes to be a leader is just that inner drive to always be going for your highest potential. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually, um, I'm kind of curious, um, you know, that, that, that's sort of who you've always been and, and how would you then define leadership? Because I want, I want to talk more mm -hmm. about how you've been that way, but before yeah. I go into delving further into your story, so highest potential, like go elaborate a little bit more on that definition part. Yeah. So I think what defines a leader is somebody that is always going for their highest potential and is wants to inspire other people to do the same. You know, I think the best leaders lead by example, right? And so in order to lead by example, you have to be doing it. You have to be walking your walk and talking your talk. And then once you're doing that, you then want to show other people how to do the same. I totally agree. I love it. And I'm I'm now picturing you. Did you say was ice cream shop one of the places you worked? Yes. <laughs> so I worked at a Friendly's. This has not uh -huh. come up on this show ever <laughs> in five years. But I worked at a Friendly's. I started in the kitchen, but I I self-taught how to do all the ice cream things so I could mm -hmm. jump in when needed. And eventually started. That's that's how I got my career in restaurants. Started waiting tables there. So I got you with the like look for opportunities. Like no one asked me to cross train. 
Right. right. I was just like, well, they're they're slammed right now and we're not. So I'm going to go over there and figure out how to make these things. Um, exactly. Yeah. There's something innate. But so I'm, I'm curious, though, what were you like on the playground? Because if that's who you were when you, you know, start getting paid to work as a teenager and beyond, like what kind of kid were you earlier on? Did you run for office? Did you organize your friends to do things? Mm-hmm. Well, I honestly, when you first said, what were you like on the playground? I just pictured my one of my earliest memories of literally skipping through the field, like singing to myself. So <laughs> I was kind of a weird kid. Um, so I guess really what that shows is that as a kid, I was just doing my own thing. And that's really again, ties into leadership. Leadership is sometimes lonely, right? Most people I would say are comfortable not being in leadership. They're comfortable doing their job, the status quo, right? They don't want to be responsible because a leader is responsible for other people in addition to themselves. And so, yeah, literally on the playground, I was off doing my own thing, skipping around, like singing songs from Greece, probably. Um, Yeah. <laughs> this is a this is a show about untold stories. I'm <laughs> guessing know. that's one of them. This is the show where we share things we've never shared before on a podcast. Um that's, but that's then, my goal. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember in sixth grade I ran for, you know, student council and things like that. So I did, I was I always was going for leadership positions in school as well. Did did the adults around you see that potential and really nurture it? Yes. Yeah. I feel like this is therapy now because you're taking me back into my childhood of like (laughs) what happened because I was also always the kid that was raising my hand and to the point where my teacher was like, I need to call on other kids. Like I can't just call on you, but I would tell my mom, like, mom, it's just ever calling on me. So my mom would go to the teacher and say, Jessica says that she's not being called on. And the teacher would say, I, I call on her as much as I can, but I have to give the other kids a turn to talk. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) <laughs> That's your, my life. Your mom's like, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> okay, this is so good. So um, was there someone that you looked up to who was a great leader, you know, a friend, a family member, a teacher, someone that you're like, ah, like you don't know the word leader when you're a kid, but like right. you appreciated sort of how they showed up in the world. Was there somebody who, who shows up in your life that way? Well, my parents, definitely. I mean, both of them did all of the things and do all of the things that I'm describing that a leader does, right? They led by example. They just made stuff happen. They always, you know, my mom was always leading in all of the different organizations that she volunteered for. I remember there was this organization called the Fresh Air Fund and kids from like New York City would go stay with, you know, families in the suburbs so they could like get a taste of nature and stuff like that. And my mom was like on the chair of, you know, a chair of that. I don't know what her position was, but she was always like leading things and like helping other people. That was the biggest thing. My parents were always being of service. They're always joining different committees at church and like mentoring young moms and like doing all of that stuff. And I think that has always been my example of seeing my parents always be of service to other people. And I think that's another trait of leaders. Leaders want to be of service to other people because again, they're not just doing work for themselves. They, if you want to be lead a team, you want to do that because you want to help other people achieve their goals. Um, so definitely my parents through my whole childhood, just watching them lead. And then my dad started his own business, became an entrepreneur when I was 13. So for much of my adolescence, I saw my dad then going out and creating his own business and being a leader in that sense. Wow. I mean, what powerful examples. I've been thinking about this a lot because I, I have a uh, two kids, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And um, about a year or so, I wrote an, a newsletter that said, you know, they won't know me not having been an author. They won't know me not 
running 5Ks every month. They won't know, you know, like like there's, yeah. there's certain things that I now am known for and do TEDx talk, right? Like yeah. professional speaker, like executive coach, like they just won't know me in any prior form. And it's just, it, it's sort of weird. You're like, wow, that is sort of inspirational <laughs> to see that. Yes. And uh, for you to have that example of your dad sort of mm-hmm. taking the plunge when you were 13 and, and deciding to go all in for it. Um, I mean, it sounds like you had sort of some innate capabilities around this, but the environment that you're in also really nurtured it mm-hmm. and gave you some space and maybe a little parameters too, like your teacher being like, let's tell <laughs> yeah. this just a tiny bit. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Remember there's other people around you that would like to talk, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's hard when you're a kid and you're like, but I want to, I can help. Mm -hmm. Where did, like, where did you think you were going? Like when you were 12, 13 years old, did you have a sense of, you know, who you'd be growing up and what you'd end up doing in the world? Did you like have a clear path or did you just kind of roll with it? Well, my vision through my adolescence was to be a star on Broadway. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that speaks to the power that children have and not really realizing what their true strengths are. <laughs> Cause I wasn't actually that good, but I really loved it. And I was like, I'm doing it. Um, so, you know, I was in a musical every single year, like every musical I tried out, I was always in the chorus. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a hint. Somehow I was still going to be on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, denial on children is really strong. Yeah. It's but amazing. you were having fun. You were having fun though. Oh my gosh. I I loved it. I mean, it was really incredible. It, it's 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 incredible that children have this ability to have such incredible optimism and naivete and ignorance. Like it's awesome. Like I miss that quite frankly. I miss the ability to be going so hard for a goal that was clearly very unrealistic, but I was like, I'm going for it. So I've channeled that into, you know, other things, right. As a business owner, as an entrepreneur, I no longer do musical theater or anything like that anymore. But that fire in me that I had through my teenage years, doing the musical every year, taking dance lessons, taking singing lessons. I mean, that drive, I know apply that in other ways, but, um, yeah, that was a huge part of my, my adolescence was having that clear vision to be on Broadway. (laughs) Which also probably separated you from a lot of your peers who didn't have such a clear vision of any sort, right? Like being driven at that teenage years, being absolute in your you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rewatching Glee right now. So you sound yeah. like Rachel. Oh yeah. <laughs> I watched Glee many years ago. <laughs> I'm rewatching it right now. And like, you know, she's so certain that yeah. Rachel Berry, I'm going to get on Broadway. Like that's my destiny. Yeah. And, well, you know, it was really interesting because I was actually surrounded by a lot of Rachel Berry's because where I found a home was in the theater. So I surrounded myself with other people that also were going for the same thing, However, they had much more talent than I did. So many of them actually made it. It's actually, it's so cool to look back at kids that I was in high school with. And I'm like, oh my God, like girlfriend is making a living dancing. Like that's awesome. So I was surrounded by so many people that were going for it and actually did make it. So I think that was part of it is that I love the saying all ships rise in high tide. And that was really kind of how it was. There was so much talent in the high school that I went to that it was sort of like everyone 
had this optimism and this vision to, to really make it. And a lot of them did and a lot of them didn't, but, um, it was, there was a lot of really talented kids in my school. It was very, it was a very much of a glee thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. It sounds like an awesome place to, to grow yeah. up. When did you, when were those hopes dashed? Like when did you realize, okay, I have to make a plan B. Well, don't you know, there was a moment, right? There's always a very specific moment. I mean, my theater teacher was telling me, my parents were telling me, right? I never heard my parents tell me because, you know, you don't really hear when your parents tell you this stuff. My theater teacher would tell me, you know, this is great that you want to do theater. Why don't you major in something else? Keep doing theater for fun. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started auditioning at musical theater universities. And it was really those auditions that were the biggest wake up call. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I remember my dad and like, God bless my parents for literally driving me to the ends of the earth to let me figure it out on my own. They never said you're, I'm not like my dad drove me to Pittsburgh to audition at Point Park University and um, let me figure it out for myself. And I think that's so important. I mean, I see that now leading my team, like you have to let your team figure stuff out on their own. If you just tell them how it's supposed to be, they're going to resist it. Cause I would resist it every time my parents said, you know, don't, don't major in musical theater. Like this is not a future for you. I wouldn't hear it. I had to drive to Pittsburgh, learn a dance to Madonna and fail in front of like 50 other girls that were so much better than me to be like, Hey dad, I don't think I want to do this. (laughs) It was one of the most humbling moments of my life. (laughs) But also the most growth, like that is the biggest growth growth. moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's, that was a moment of you becoming the adult, you know, not just being the naive, like ignorant child, blissful in your ignorance, but being like, okay, reality is setting in yeah, and not just being mad about it and sullen, but just being mm-hmm. like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Okay. Where did, like, did you go off to college? Did, did, yes. did college still become a thing? Yeah. So I went to Temple University. So my next step was like, okay, I'm going to go to Temple because it's a liberal arts school. Like there's so many different majors. They have a great theater program. So my first semester, I did actually stay a theater major because I wasn't quite ready to admit defeat, but I was like, I'll go to a liberal arts school. I won't go to like an art school. Um, So I majored in theater my first semester and just pretty much realized that everyone that is in the theater department in college is like actually really seriously like committed to making this a career. You had to be so obsessively hundred percent committed to it. And I just realized like, I'm not like I, it wasn't until I got to college that I realized I don't want this to be my career. Like I love doing it in high school, but you know, in high school, it's fun. It's not like, Oh, you have to live like every single hour you're in there rehearsing and all of that. Um, so my second semester, I changed to communication and kind of went on with my actual career trajectory. Oh, so interesting. So you actually have a degree in communication, which yeah. seems so appropriate. You're like one of those people who are actually using your college degree. Exactly. No, it's crazy because, you know, I went into nonprofit after that. I was in the nonprofit field for six years, but looking back, I'm like, I studied communications and now I have a job in new media. So it's very, it all lined up. Um, but I, I didn't quite know what the path was going to be back in 2007. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 1994, my dad told me that he had read in, in an article in a paper. I was 20. He said, uh, he, in the, in the, you know, the Sunday paper magazine, um, that I would have four careers between ages 20 and 40. And that was actually a really helpful thing for him to say to me because it like, 
dropped it in my head that I wasn't going to just like do one thing the rest of my life, that flexibility was going to be really key, being able to like have transferable skills Mm -hmm. and that some of the things I would do in my life didn't exist yet, which was a new idea at 20 years old. Like especially 1994, things were just starting to take off in that rapid way. Mm -hmm. New media was not yet a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, I mean, similar to you, how could you have predestined what you're doing today since what you're doing today did not exist when you were 13, when you were 18, like these Mm -hmm. things are, are, but you, but you got the skills, it sounds like, and mm-hmm. had sort of the leadership qualities yeah. to point yourself in the right direction. I, okay. Since we're, since you're a podcast, mm-hmm. like this is your, your world. When did you first become aware of podcasts? I first became aware of podcasts in about, I would say 2010. Um, I had, you know, iTunes on my computer, my probably like my Dell laptop or something. And I would use video podcasts to do yoga. Like there was this yoga video podcast. So that's how I would. That person was ahead of their time. Yeah. Yoga. uh, What's his name? Chaz. Chaz something. I think he's like pretty big. Um, but yeah, yoga with Chaz or Chaz yoga or something like that. But yeah, I would do his video podcasts. I wasn't yet listening to pod like audio only like podcasts like this, but yes, video podcasts I, w- I would use. I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. Cause I was like buying like yoga DVDs at target. Like that's how we weren't like using YouTube and stuff for, for that stuff. So, and then once I saw, I was like, Oh wow, I can get free yoga classes on video podcasts. This is so cool. So that was my first you know, introduction to the world of podcasting. Back then, did you have a way to listen to audio podcasts that were not at your computer? No. I think that was the biggest shift for me. Yeah. Because knowing that something existed and not having like an easy way to consume it mm-hmm. almost made it pointless to know about. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was, like there I was had... a bunch of years like that for me in podcasts where I was like, yeah, yeah a thing. I don't know how to do that. Exactly. Like I had the video podcast right on my laptop and I had an iPod, right? And so I would use the iPad pod and like sync the music to my iPod and listen to music. But I wasn't like syncing because the thing with podcasts is you just download it right there. But we didn't have that capability. Um, I had an iPod shuffle <laughs> back in the day. And the problem was whenever I downloaded something that wasn't music, it would mm-hmm. just randomly come on. Like, like, You're working like, this show. <laughs> and so I really was no reliable way to, to listen to non-music. And I then finally, I was like, I'm only going to put workout music on this thing. Like, because it's so jarring when you're like going along and then it's like people talking. So, yeah, yeah. it's so interesting to think about because um, Pat Flynn was how I, I think learning about his show was Mm -hmm. a big shift for me. And that's Mm -hmm. not until the end of 2014 when I leave my career nonprofit. So you and I share that. Yeah. Yeah. and I had time. And so I started listening to his entire back catalog, which even mm-hmm. in, I mean, he had five years by that point of back catalog, which was amazing. Yeah. And I just like fell deep into it. And after basically realizing I want to do everything, every one of his guests suggested, right. <laughs> like I was like, this is not working out. I can't, um, <laughs> too many that. ideas, so, too many ideas. And one of the ideas I learned was the difference between just in time versus just in case learning. And that was really helpful. And so I put a pause after six months and mm-hmm. declared I was going to host my own show. Cause I was like, this is a medium that I could really get behind. Yeah. And, um, and that was actually, that was it. That was the beginning 2015 when I was like, I'm going to do this thing and make yeah. it happen. And now like it, the show came out the year later. Um, yeah. 
though, I mean, it's just like the strategies around it have changed so much. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when did you think that this is like a, I mean, as I mentioned in, in your intro, like podcast guesting wasn't mm-hmm. really a, a organized thing. I mean, yet people mm-hmm. got, clearly got on shows, mm-hmm. um, but it was all who you knew kind of right. thing. And there weren't that many shows in the beginning. Um, you know, when, when did you start to see, like, were you already on shows at that point? Like, what was your journey around yeah. like the world of podcast guesting and, and it being a business? Yeah. So I started my business in 2013. My dad, Jim Palmer, is who introduced me to the world of online business because I'd been working at my at the nonprofit for many years, got pregnant, um, and was like, okay, I'm going to leave this day job, you know, when my baby comes. And so my dad said, why don't you start a virtual assistant business? And he had been podcasting. So he had, his show is called Dream Business Radio. He had already been doing it for, I think he started in like 2012. He's been doing it for a really long time. Um, And so, yeah, he is one of those people that was like doing interviews, going on like, it was like blog talk radio was really big at the time, like instant teleseminar. There were all these like summits and stuff like that, like way back in the day. So when I started doing virtual assistant work, he told me about podcasting, like from the business sense, because sure, I'd been, you know, like had NPR playing and stuff like that. So like audio shows were of course a thing, but I had never really, it had never clicked in my head of like, oh, like just regular people are doing this. It was still, before I started my business, it was still just something that like NPR did. Um, so when I started my business and my dad started having me book him on shows, that's when I really saw that podcasting was this thing that anyone could do, that it wasn't just something for these major media companies um, to produce. Yeah. And it did get easier over time. I mean, by the time I was seriously considering doing it in 2015, there was a lot of information out there about, about how to get started, right? There wasn't like, it wasn't like start from scratch and like build it on your own. There was Mm -hmm. definitely like borrowing from different concepts. Like even my intro question is from Hack the Entrepreneur um, from Johnny. Like I got, Mm -hmm. he was, he was, he and Jared um, were the two people who like, I took a a course from them. So, um, in, Jared you know, inspired me to start a podcast. That's actually, <laughs> yeah, I read yeah. his book and I was like, oh my, cause I had been guesting, right. I had been being guests on shows and I went to podcast movement, read his book on the plane home. And I was like, oh my God, like, I need to have my own podcast. This yeah. is crazy. Well, I, I'm really glad that I went through their program in the sense that I, I, as a guest, the opening question is usually just tell me about yourself or, you know, or, I'll go ahead and tell people about your start or just like vague thing. And so I always joke. So I was born in a hospital <laughs> in the County of, you know, like, yeah. And, and it's, um, you know, like I realized how much like effort you can put in or not put into a show. And that's the quality as a guest that you're experienced. Um, which is why I said to you, you know, we're going to have a conversation. You don't have to like, cause yeah. sometimes, you know, you, you hold, you carry the show as a guest, right? Like, yeah. Like yeah. they ask you these three uninspired questions and you <laughs> exactly. talk for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that you, I mean, number one, I always love being interviewed by people that have been podcasting for years. Cause it's always like a tremendously better experience and like no hate to people that have just started. Cause everyone starts somewhere, starts somewhere and there's nothing wrong with not being super skilled interviewer, but it's, it's always really fun because you've learned this stuff over the years. You're like, you know what? I could ask better questions or I could ask and, and, and going through the courses and learning from the greats and people that have have a lot of experience. It's, it's so great because it is a craft, right? It's, it's a craft. Yeah. I will tell you that the first maybe six, seven episodes I did, 
I was interviewing people that I knew in real life. And Mm -hmm. I was on Skype back then. In fact, my journey to Zoom was because of uh, podcasting. My guests couldn't remember their login. (laughs) It was stressing them out. And I went looking for another platform. And so very quickly, by the end of 2015, I was already using Zoom because it was just easier for my guests. But I didn't turn the camera on for those first seven because I I had my head down looking at the piece of paper with my questions on it. And I didn't think they needed to stare at the top of my head the entire time. Um, but boy, what a change. I always tell people, don't judge me on my first three episodes. Judge me on my last three, please. Like- yes. No, I, I completely agree. Well, I love the saying that if your first couple episodes are great, then you waited too long to start. Um, yeah. Because people are like, well, when should I start? When? I'm like, just start. The only way you're going to get better is if you just start and you practice and and you get better. Um yeah, that's a, a big change. A lot of people are using video now because uh, I, I didn't. I was totally audio only, and I still don't publish the video. But I, now I record on video too because it does help the connection, being able to see the other person. Yeah, I made a decision a few years ago not to bother with publishing the mm-hmm. video because I didn't see the payoff. Mm-hmm. Have you been seeing that? Because I, I know some people make the effort to publish on YouTube as a you know, as a video and yeah. also the audio and sometimes now we're doing a lot of, I do a lot of live now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a guest on like a Facebook live or a YouTube live, and then they yeah. turn it into audio later. So what are your thoughts and how, what do you think this is all going? Yeah. So I, I love video, but my way of doing things is I do video for video and I do podcasts for audio only. Um, I don't, I don't publish the video because I, I like being able to record podcasts just like you know, with the lights not shining on me and like, you know, not having to like make eye contact all the time. But when I do a video for video purposes, it's just a different setup. It's a different vibe. Typically I'm recording on Facebook live. So there's some interaction with people watching. Um, so I'm just, I think I'm just old school in that way is like, I just like keeping the magic of it being audio only. Now, that being said, you'll find a ton of other experts who say repurpose the video, repurpose the video. That's just not my style. I don't, I just like it keeping yeah. it audio only. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, I, I've had to, to remind guests that like, I'm not sharing the video and that yeah. even if I were like disproportionately, you know, 95% would be listening. Right. Um, so don't mention your cat who just came in the room. <laughs> I once yeah, had right? someone like describe to me how beautiful their backyard was. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, I have to clip that because like, yeah. that's just so it out of context. It won't make sense. It won't make sense. And I think similarly, when I'm on a Facebook Live or LinkedIn Live or some, or YouTube Live or whatever, right? And they start commenting and interacting with the comments. I'm like, how is this going to play on an audio? Right. When there's something like, oh, hey, and so, so-and-so, thanks so much for leaving your comment. Let me just talk. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's very much a different experience than audio created for audio. Like there is a disconnect when I'm listening to a podcast, you know, an audio only podcast, like on my phone, through my headphones. And they're like, everyone watching the live. Like, I feel like I was kind of left out of a party. (laughs) Like it's Mm. like, I wasn't there for the, for the live show. Um, and when you're alternatively, when you're listening to an audio podcast that you could tell the host is just in a room with their microphone it's like a more intimate experience. Like I'm all about what is the experience for the listener? And I think if you're recording like it live and then just using the audio, the experience for the audio only listener is not as amazing. So Mm. that's my thoughts on it. (laughs) No, this is, this is, I love teasing this out because I haven't really talked to anyone else about it. And I think that, um, you know, we're, we're such a privilege to be in people's ears at all. Yeah. 
everyone who's listening. Like, thank you for listening. And mm-hmm. and I know people are listening because I actually just published an episode this week that my guest immediately got a LinkedIn request mm-hmm. that was like perfectly personalized to what Aww. she had said. And they're, they're probably going to be like fast friends because like clearly there was that. a lot for them to connect around. And I'm like, that's the magic of this medium is that I can yeah. take people that I know and bring them on. And um, one of the things that I've done... Um, is when I my fro, my show first started, I was interviewing women, um, and then men in alternate, mm-hmm. and I so there was parity from the very beginning, and then about a year and a half in, I I realized that my ideal clients for my like my coaching practice at the time were I were um, entrepreneurial women in their fifties and beyond. That was sort of who continues to show up mostly in my world. <laughs> and so and they were like, you have the, one of the best women's business podcasts, and I thought, wow, just having parity. Like wow. that's, that's amazing that you, that, that's what you see, but you know, it's not one or two out of 10, it's, you know, five out of 10. Mm-hmm. So I actually upped it and now I have two out of every three guests are women, mm-hmm. but, and I, and I did all this on purpose then in the beginning, cause I thought men pitch me a lot. And I, I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of get your take on this as a person who gets hired as a company, yeah. <laughs> you know, to pitch people. Mm-hmm. I often get pitched by men who have a book that has less than 25 reviews on Amazon that is not well-ranked yeah, and not even set up very well on Amazon, like no author mm-hmm. central page, like just mm-hmm. really sloppily done. Even yeah. if it's traditional publisher, they don't usually do those steps for, for, the, for right. the author, right? And then they pay you a, a good sum of money to be pitched to me and their credential. And it just, it all seems like so incongruent to like what their value really is. Mm-hmm. And then there are women who never, ever pitch me through these companies and I have to go looking for them. And I had one of my best guests this last year. My VA loved her, has no website, hasn't officially started her business yet, but we had a conversation and I knew that she had value to add yeah. and I wanted to highlight her. And I was like, so thrilled that we had stumbled upon each other. And I brought her on and she was amazing, but she would never pay to get herself pitched. So yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts around who's reaching out to you, what they're bringing, how to position yourself? You know, when do you know it's the right moment to like pay someone to pitch? I'm asking you like 19 questions. Yeah, All right, pick no, one of them. I, I, I have many thoughts on this. Okay, so number one, as a woman in business and as a woman in the business of raising people's visibility, I'm incredibly passionate about women raising their visibility. I'm passionate about that because I see more often than not, women are not willing to invest in their visibility. It's a huge mindset thing. It's a huge self-worth thing. Um, There's a lot of things in their way mentally before they're willing to invest in that. Men have no problem telling you they are the best person in the market. They have no problem with that. Um, Bless their heart, right? (laughs) The world is set up for white men in business. (laughs) Yep. Um, And we specifically, I mean, we, we love working with women. And when I'm doing consultation calls and running masterclasses and like teaching and inspiring, I'm just like, if I, I mean, I'm obviously doing all this virtual, but if they were in the room, I would shake them and say, girl, invest in yourself. Like you have lives you need to change. And if you don't take the step and get yourself out there, you are not going to change these lives. And it is typically this feeling of like, I'm not ready or 
my story isn't as important as these other people's stories, or I still have work to do, or my messages, all of this stuff that's standing in their way. And it, it is that those obstacles and those blocks tend to be more prevalent in the women that I talk to. Um, I learned, you know, I worked with Allie Brown for a couple of years, was in her high-end coaching program. And she is awesome at this because she was, you know, she works with women and she's like, gals, when you feel like you're being arrogant, you're actually just being as confident as men, right? So when women are very confident, they feel like, oh, I'm being too arrogant right now. We have been trained to not be confident. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And to not, you know, we've been trained to not shout from the rooftops how friggin' awesome we are. And, you know, like, oh, let let other people speak, right? Like, don't, don't brag about yourself. Like, this is how women, be a lady, right? We have been conditioned this way since we were children. And how it manifests as entrepreneurs is, why would you pay someone to get you visibility? You need to serve your clients. You can't be spending time out there promoting yourself. You need to be serving people by working. Like, it's, you can see I get very passionate I, I, about I've this. I've touched a chord here. You yeah, really I have. <laughs> I, and I'm and I'm glad to raise this though with with you um, because you know, as a as a host I'm seeing it, and when I'm a guest uh, and I've been on you know 50, 60 shows, mm-hmm. um, I always look to see who's been on their show and you know who else. I, I scroll through their first you know top twenty on the last mm-hmm. the last twenty episodes, and I'll say like who's your ideal guest at the end of the conversation, it's all gone really nicely. I like them. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell me and I go, Oh, I know some women who meet that fit that profile. Like, are you open to hearing from women in business? And they always say, Oh, it's always a guy, right? Oh my God, that'd be amazing. I just don't know any, you know, or like, some, like, <laughs> yeah. blatant, like falsehood in a way, like, there's no way, how could you have structured your life where you don't know women in <laughs> yeah. business? I don't yeah. understand. And so, you know, I, I think, like it's the least I can do. Like I, I made a, a vow 30 years ago. If I'm invited mm-hmm. on a panel and it's all men, just boot me. I will tell you who else can be on this, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And now of course is a prevalent, is a thing we talk about, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, now. <laughs> and with, yeah. And with podcasting, right. I've been in a lot of conversations with women that are like, there's so many podcasts hosted by men, right. You know, all of these, blog articles with the top 10 podcasts are all men and there's blah, 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 blah. And you know what my answer to that is? Go start a podcast, right? You know, if you're a woman that's like, they're only interviewing men, go pitch yourself, get yourself out there. Yes, those those article writers who are doing the list, the hosts, I 100% support them taking the responsibility to go seek out the women because they can do, oh, I don't know anyone. Like, okay, well, make an effort, right? They're out there. Um, but also women, get yourself out there. Like one of the reasons there's so many more men on these shows is because they're freaking pitching themselves or paying an agency to get them out there. So yeah. as women, like we need to be getting ourselves out there. And one more thing before I get off my soapbox, yep. the impact you have as a woman in business to share your story changes so many lives, right? As a woman who has hit seven figures, my life was changed by learning from other women who have hit seven figures because it's a very small percentage of us that do. And so I make it a point to share about that transparently, authentically, shout it from the rooftops because I've had so many women that say, I believe it's possible for me because you shared your story and because you can do it. I know I can because I'm not that different from you. That's the, that's the way that you change lives. And so if you're sitting and just working with your clients and not getting visible, there's so many lives that would be changed if you got into the spotlight. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, I, you know, if you're being successful and you don't tell people, no one else knows how you did it and they, they miss the opportunity to learn from you. Like that's, that maybe if, if, if it needs to be a, a less selfish thing to like be successful and talk about it, then like twist it around your brain if that's what you need. I mean, yeah. I just had this experience last year in 2020 when my speaking business came to like a hard stop as everyone else's did in March. And I started hosting a virtual happy hour, March 13th, 2020. And that launched in eight months, a six figure business based on all new revenue streams. Oh my gosh. And, you know, uh, it led to a, a certification program and me working with national and statewide uh, organizations, bringing their events online, being paid a good, good amount of money to do the work and working really hard to learn the craft. And when I talk about it, there's these schools of people. There's the people who write me privately to say like, this is really helpful. Like it, it's inspiring. It's getting me to take some action. Or can you answer this question about this? Or how did you get into HBR? Or how did you get your tech? Whatever it is, right? And I'm like, here's how I did it. Here's, you know, like I'll, I'll give it all away. Cause it's like, yeah. I don't have any feeling that you can ever follow my footsteps. And if you tried, I'm still ahead of you. So yeah. I'll tell you everything. Exactly. I'm the same way. Like in our masterclass, I'm like, I'll tell you exactly how to pitch, how to find the shows. Like I'll tell you all the resources. Everything. I'm like, I'll teach you everything. There's no secrets of the trade here. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, but there's the secret is it's work. It's it's work. That's the it's secret. Work. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was, a, there was a handful of naysayers who were like, you know, ixnay on the talking about money, basically, you know, or just like, it could kind of like, it's, it's a little impolite or, oh and God. I'm like, that's your stuff. Oh, that's everyone's money stuff. I was just talking to my husband about this last night. It's, um, people get really weird about money. And I, you know, I like, we talk about it in our household. My kids, they, my, 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 uh, my son will go, how much money do you actually have though, mom? Like how much is in your bank? <laughs> He's like trying That's to figure funny. it out. Like we talk about money. You know, my husband and I are both entrepreneurs, right? So when we get a sale or when we take home a bunch more money, like we're just talking about it in the kitchen. It's not like a weird thing where we don't, you know, share. And my mom was like, that would, those conversations would never happen you know, right. in previous generations, you just, you didn't talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm changing that because, because we never talked about it, you know, I got myself into debt and I didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, again, going back to the, what we were saying before about the visibility, when you share about money, again, it helps demystify it. People kind of learn where they're at. And I've had some of my most powerful connections with people by sharing my money stuff. Right. So Mm -hmm. Yes, to all. Of this it. is so good. I don't want it to come to an end, but I'm gonna now. Oh, I don't want it to come our... to an end either. This is so fun, but yes. I'm gonna lead us to. <laughs> this is my favorite wrap-up question. Here we go. Yeah. So, um, I, and I hope that we, this really happens because I don't want to wait as long as we did to reconnect. But let's say it's a year from now, and we are reconnecting. And I ask you, how was last year? I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Hitting ten million dollars in revenue this year. And is there a particular way you're going to be going about that? Yes. Uh, well, I have a team of four salespeople who we've all hired within the last few months. We have all of our launches scheduled out. We know exactly what metrics we need to hit, how many people we need to register. We know all of the things. So we are just working that plan. So that's, that's what we'll amazing. be celebrating. <laughs> oh, I can't I can't wait to celebrate that with you. And then you would definitely be in a very small group of women. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that's, that's a very special mastermind you'd be yeah. able to be to join. That's incredible. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. How can people find you and follow your work and learn about all the amazingness that that you're doing to help people get on shows? 
Yeah. So interviewconnections.com slash group takes you to our Facebook group community, Guest Expert Profit Lab. That's where we do free trainings and masterclasses. If you want to hit me up personally at JessRoads45 on Instagram is where you can find just me. Most other accounts are have team on them and stuff like that. But my personal Instagram, if you want to connect with me and tell me about your visions for being on Broadway, you know? <laughs> Right, because you never know what connections will come from, <laughs> from having had this conversation. This is amazing. We will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jessica. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 240. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Also, if you're on Clubhouse, find me at Robbie Samuels and click on the bell in my profile so you're notified when I'm speaking in a room. If you enjoyed this episode with Jessica, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.